right, let's return tonight to James chapter 1. We found ourselves there last Sunday evening, and we'll return there this evening for the preaching of God's Word. As you find your place, just to remind you of what we looked at as we opened to James 1 last week, we looked at the first 12 verses to learn about triumphing in or through trials. Often we experience trials of faith. Things happen in life that are at least allowed by God. And we set the stage for that by reminding ourselves that though we would say that God allows everything we experience in our lives, God is not the active agent or the direct cause in everything that we experience in life. Friends, if someone sins against you, God didn't cause that. He wasn't the reason behind it. I would be foolish to stand up and say, well, God in his sovereignty ordained that to happen. If we were to say that, then we would contradict what James is going to say here a few verses later about temptation to sin. God does not cause people to sin to fulfill some purpose he has. Can God fulfill his purposes even through humanity's practice and actions of sin? Yes, but God does not cause sin. Never has, never will. But often when you and I go through trials... God, even as we cry out to him, even if we ask him to do so, God may not remove us from that trial. What God may do is carry us through it to accomplish a purpose in our lives. And so we follow James and, and discuss four qualities that we need to adopt and develop if we're going to learn to triumph in or through trials. Those four qualities were a joyful spirit, an understanding mind, a surrendered will, and a believing heart. God has led us back to James 1 today to continue this theme of triumph. Now, in addition to learning how to triumph in or through trials, James pivots to help us to learn about triumphing over temptations. Notice the nuance of words. Last week, triumphing in trials. This week, triumphing over temptations. Why the difference? 
Because while God often leads you to endure through trials, God often allows you to remain uncomfortable. To go all the way through the trial for the fulfillment of his purpose. While he does that with trials of faith, he designed you to overcome and escape temptations. Friends, God does not desire you to endure through temptation to sin. He wants you to overcome and escape it. And he's given us the resources to do so. But can we be transparent for a moment? We all face temptations, right? You can answer. Yes. Let's take it a step further. We all struggle with temptations. That's different, isn't it? To just say, well, yes, I face temptations. Well, yeah, temptations come at times in my life, and I face it, no big deal. No, we all struggle with temptations. It, it can be a battle. It can be a fight. Let's progress a little further. We all face temptations. We all struggle with temptations. We all succumb to temptations. The head shakes have gotten a little less vigorous as we've gone through the progression. We all face temptations. We all struggle. We all succumb. But it's all true, isn't it? what God wants for us but it is the story of our lives but I thank God for a passage like 1 John 2 1 and 2 John says my little children these things write I unto you that ye sin not I, I want to help you to not sin but then he says this but if any man sin we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen, as we talk about facing, struggling with, and succumbing to temptation, I want you to understand that God doesn't turn away or from or reject you if you face struggle with or succumb to temptations he doesn't turn away from you he doesn't reject you he gave jesus for your forgiveness past present and future you do know don't you that he dealt with it all on the cross when we say god made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. You understand that that does not just mean that God took all your sins pre-salvation and put them on Christ. He took every sin 
you would ever commit, including the ones you haven't yet, and paid for them at Calvary. That's the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness he offers us. And though that's true, and we praise God for it, that doesn't mean that God wants you and me to just go ahead and struggle with sin and sin and and it's okay no he's provided for us to triumph over temptations and that's what james writes to us about in james 1 verses 12 through 27 Let, let's read the passage and then we'll dissect it together james 1 beginning in verse 12 it's the verse we ended the first with but it's where the pivot takes place so let's start there again blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the lord hath promised to them that love him let no man say when he is tempted i am tempted of god for god cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man pause again god is never the cause of sin Do you all understand this? Are you with me? He's never the cause of sin. Verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man, shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but he deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So what help? Does James provide for us to triumph over temptation? God may call us to endure through trials of faith, but he wants us to victoriously triumph over temptation, providing a way to escape. And James writes about it here. And I want you to consider five thoughts about how the help, if you will, James gives us to triumph over temptation. Number one is simply this. Recognize the process of temptation. Wouldn't you agree that 
getting victory over an enemy, beating a competitor, requires understanding how that enemy or how that competitor fights or competes. If you pay attention at all really to professional sports and understand the process that professional players, athletes, and teams go through to prepare for their next opponent, what is something that they'll spend hours doing the week leading up to or the day leading up to or days leading up to a match or a game? They watch video, don't they? They watch video even in the course of a game or a match. As uh, let's, let's take football, for example. The offense is on the sideline. Often you'll see them there with a tablet or a, a chart that they're flipping through. And what are they doing? They're looking at pictures of what is going on, what the defense is doing against them in that game, what they've done in previous games. They're studying up their opponent, the, the competitor that they're competing against. Triumphing over temptation, we get help when we understand the process of temptation. And this whole section, again, is predicated on this reality. God does not tempt anyone to sin. Last week, as we went to James chapter 1, I shared with you that many view the theme of James to be maturity, growing in faith. If you understand that, then you know that God wants you to mature and grow. And he's not going to sabotage his own plan for you by drawing you into sin. That would be foolish. God doesn't do that. But let's think about the process of temptation. First of all, think of sin's cause. After telling us, God can't be tempted, nor does he tempt you. James says something that's not very attractive or complimentary at all, as he reveals the true cause of sin. What does he say? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away. What are the next four words? Of his own lust. Do you know what the greatest issue in the temptations you face is? It's not, it's not God. Pastor, I got that. It's not the devil. Well, the devil made me do it. It's not the temptation itself. Do you know what the greatest issue in your fight against temptation is? It's you. It's you. <laughs> my greatest issue in my fight with temptation is me. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And here's, here's an interesting 
uh, truth to grab a hold of in this whole chapter is James pivots in verse number 12. When you think about trials of faith, it's interesting to see a contrast. The temptations that are trials of faith, as he says, my brethren, in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, if you will, trials of faith. The trials of faith are things that come from outside us. Difficulties that come our way. Temptations to sin, the discussion here, results from something that is already inside us. Connecting with something outside us. The temptation... If we give in, that temptation that we come face to face with, if we give in to that, that temptation has only drawn out what is already in us. I've used this quote before, but it's so instructive. Written by Paul David Tripp. He wrote this, It's the heart that's the problem. People, locations, and situations don't cause me to sin. They are where the sin of my heart gets revealed. He goes on and he said, Sin is a matter of the heart before it is ever an issue of our behavior. This means that your and my biggest problem in life exists inside us and not outside us. And then listen to this statement. It's, it's so eye-opening. It's the evil inside me that connects with the evil outside me. So I must confess that I am my biggest problem. But then he goes on and he says, and if I confess this, I am saying that I don't so much need to be rescued from people, locations, and situations. I am in desperate need of the grace that is alone able to rescue me from me. I can escape situations and relationships, but I have no power to escape me. It is the evil inside me that connects me to evil outside me. And isn't that what James said? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away, what? Of his own lust. Sin's cause do you know what sin's cause is? It's the evil inside you. That's not very attractive, is it? It's not very complimentary. But that's the truth. Then if you would, look at sin's course. It's a simple process. James, we've often heard the illustration for this passage of fishing, right? Temptation. It's like that bait in the water that gets the fish's attention and then the fish goes after it. But that's really not the entire analogy James uses here. James switches to the analogy of conception and birth. Because he says this about sin's course. He says, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's kind of that fishing analogy. But then verse 15 is more like conception and delivery. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth 
sin. And sin when it is finished. In other words, James is telling us that temptation and sin, it's like this. It's a simple process of lust. That lust that's already in me. Conception. Well, how does that conception take place? I don't mean to be crude, but in humanity, conception takes place when a man comes together with a woman, right? How does that conception take place in sin? It's when my lust comes together with the temptation. And when those two come together, what is born of it? Sin. That's sin's course. When the evil inside me gets together with the evil outside me, I give in sin. And then if you would look at sin's conclusion, how does sin end? And sin, when it is finished, what? Bringeth forth death. And I don't know about you, but, but that has sometimes confused me. Pastor, why is that? Sin, when it's finished, that's the idea of the delivery, okay? So, my lust gets together with temptation, and what's born of that? Sin. And when that is finished, when the delivery is done, what happens? Death. Okay, so why is it that every act of sin that I've ever done hasn't killed me? I mean, that's the way we tend to think, right? What kind of death is taking place here? We need to be careful because Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death and often we define that as separation separation eternally from god in a place of punishment hell now the lake of fire for eternity but is that what james is talking about here because he's writing to believers and he's warning us about sin and temptation to sin so if I, as a believer, give in to sin, am I now facing eternal separation from God for all of eternity? That would be pretty poor theology, wouldn't it? What's he talking about? I love the way this writer put it. He says, by death, James means separation from the life God provides, he goes on and he explains, because he is talking about believers, James is not referring to eternal separation from God in hell. But when believers sin, we cut off our access to God and receive discipline from God. This can result in physical death, Acts chapter 5. Separation from fellowship and being given into Satan's power, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Sorrow, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Re-enslavement to sin and powerlessness in the Christian life, Romans 6 and 7. Sickness, 1 Corinthians 11. Shame, spiritual blindness and rebuke, Revelation 3. Loss of strength, groaning and wasting away, Psalm 32, and more. When you and I sin... And by the way, continue in that sin. We cut ourselves off from the life God intends for us to live. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have life what? More abundantly. But will we experience that more abundant life 
if we are giving into and living in sin? And the answer is no, we won't. We won't. First Peter talks about it as that dog that returns to his vomit again. That's not appetizing. At least it's not to me. I hope it's not to you. But that's like a believer who constantly goes back to sin. And so James tells us to recognize the process of temptation. And I need to move on a little more quickly. So I'll try to. Number two, reflect on the goodness of God. I think this is so interesting. Triumphing over temptation. Recognize the process of sin. Okay, I get that. Reflect on the goodness of God. What? What's the exhortation that James gives in verse number 16? What is it? Do not err, right? But then he says, uh, what? Do not err, my beloved brethren. Interestingly enough, this statement, do not err, if, if we were to translate it very literally, the idea is don't be deceived. When James says in our King James translation, do not err, he is telling us as believers in Christ not to actively give in to deception. What, what deception is he talking about? Well, we know that Satan is a master deceiver, don't we? We know Ephesians chapter 6 warns us about putting on the armor of faith that we might be able to withstand the wiles of the devil, his fiery darts, well, what are his wiles, his fiery darts made up of? Primarily deception. And one of the ways that Satan often draws people into sin is by causing us to doubt the goodness of God. Do you know that that's what happened in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden? That serpent animated by Satan shows up and questions Eve what has God said and she tells him what God has said and he says no you won't really die God is trying to keep something from you what's he doing he's calling question to the goodness of God God's keeping something from you that is good for you God's keeping something for you that will make you happy that will make you even more like him he's causing to doubt the goodness of God and Satan often does that in your life he'll try to convince you that God is not good and so you want to triumph over temptation when you face that temptation and that that evil that's inside you is being drawn to the evil outside you turn your attention to the goodness of God Number three, notice this. James calls on us to reject the practice of anger. I think this is so interesting. He's exhorting us about our sin and triumphing over our sin. And he says this, verse number 19 again, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to what? Wrath. And then he says this, For the wrath of man... Worketh not the righteousness of God. 
Interestingly, he gives us a couple of different or contrasting views of anger. Much like Paul does in Ephesians 4 when he tells us, Be ye angry and sin not. James tells us in one verse to be slow to wrath, almost giving us the idea that there is a place for wrath. But then in the very next verse, he says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So which is it? We've often heard it described this way. There's a right form of anger. There's a wrong form of anger. That right form of anger we often hear described by another term, righteous indignation. And the truth is we like to excuse our anger, right? Well, I am being righteously indignant, I guess would be the way to say that. Righteous indignation. But James says be slow to wrath. Even if you're angry at the right time, at the right place, at the right person for the right reason, be slow to wrath. Well, pastor, I'm practicing righteous indignation. That's a good thing, right? Can I remind you that even God himself, the Bible declares, is slow to anger? You know that, don't you? God is long-suffering. That phrase literally gives the impression that God is long-nosed. You say, that's really weird. Well, in the Hebrew mind, this idea of anger was this idea of, of that physical response of anger. Your, your nose and your face getting red and hot as you boil with anger. When the Bible says God is long-suffering, he's long-nosed. He can endure for a long time. Why? Because he is merciful and compassionate. So friends, let, let's stop excusing our anger, okay? Even God himself is slow to anger. He's long-suffering. But if we're honest tonight, I think we'd have to admit that regularly our anger is not of the righteous variety. It's the anger of men that does not work the righteousness of God. What do we mean by anger of man? It's that which comes natural to us. We get angry at that person for this thing and for, for that person for that thing, and we just get angry. What, what does this have to do, though, with triumphing over temptation? Anger, often, not always, but anger often causes or leads to sin. Do you remember shortly after man's fall in, in the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel are raised up and become young men themselves. And Cain gets really mad that God accepted Abel's offering but did not accept his. And even before Cain slew Abel, God showed up and spoke to Abel to warn him. Excuse me, spoke to Cain to warn him, to tell him to beware. And he called Cain out for his anger and said these words, sin lieth at the door. What was God saying? 
Your anger is going to get you into trouble. Your anger is going to lead to sin. Anger is often for people a root issue, not a fruit. It's a root issue that leads to and causes sin. One pastor writing about his experience spoke about anger and how to deal with anger. He, he gave this instruction. He said, I have found that, that often to, to avoid anger, it is better, as James says, to listen to others rather than jumping in and arguing your position and giving your thought. Interestingly enough, Dr. Leo Maddow, who is a psychoanalyst at the Institute of the Pennsylvania Hospital in Philadelphia, identified, listen, depression as probably the most common sign of hidden anger in our society. More people get depressed because of repressed or unrecognized anger than almost any other symptom. Interesting. Over and over, we're encouraged in the Word of God, be careful about your anger. And James does it again here as he's addressing how you and I can triumph over temptation. Number four, James says this, receive the transforming work of the Word. Be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Look into the the word, the mirror of the word, the glass of the word. Now, as you think about that, we, we've heard this analogy before, mirror. I, I don't know how many of us carry mirrors around with us regularly. Although the truth is, probably most of you, if not all of you, are carrying a mirror around all the time, even if you don't realize it. You know what that mirror is? It's the front-facing camera on your phone. Be honest tonight. How many of you have used that as a mirror before? Really? Only three of you? Okay, got a few more. Isn't that true, though? You can just, you know, pop on that little camera, and if you carry around a tablet, you've got an even bigger mirror to carry with you. And you can look into that mirror, and what does that mirror show you? What does it show you? What other people see, an image of yourself, it shows you as you are, right? And doesn't the Word of God do that? We tend to do what Paul warns us not to do and think too highly of ourselves. And when we come to the Word of God, it shows us what we really are. But interestingly, there's actually another analogy that's at play here. In, in Greek thinking, which was the predominant thinking of the day, even though the Roman Empire was the one in charge, the Romans were interesting as they conquered, they kind of adopted the, the prevailing culture. And since they took over from the Greek Empire historically, the, the Greek uh, culture was still the prevailing culture of the day. In Greek thinking, mirrors had a very interesting 
uh, analogy to them. To look into a mirror was not always just about that mirror shows me what I am. But figuratively speaking, looking in a mirror was for the purpose of seeing another image revealed. The image of the person that I desire to be or strive to be. Doesn't the word of God fulfill that purpose too? The word of God not only shows me what I am, but it shows me what God desires me to be and how to become that person, how to grow into that person. But can I remind you this evening? Because I think too often we get caught up with this idea that reading the word is all I need to do. It's enough. Is that James's perspective? If our attitude is, I can, I can spend time reading the word each day and I'll be good. And James says, no, that, that's not all there is to it. You come to the word and you read the word and it'll show you who you are. It'll show you the person God desires you to be. But if you walk away and don't do anything with it, what good will it have done you? And what's the honest answer? None. No good. What's the answer to that? Be doers and not hearers only. And a big part of that is to receive the transforming work of the word, to yield myself, to surrender myself to God, to his spirit, so that as the word of God shows me what I am and what God desires me to be, I won't just walk away and forget I won't sit and go, oh, well, that's nice, and then walk away and do nothing with it. But as I yield to and surrender to God, he will be able to do that work of transformation in me, the, the power that is in the word to do that. But friends, he's not going to force. You and I have to surrender to yield to it. And then number five, if you will, notice this and we'll be done. To triumph over temptation, I, I need to recognize the, the process of temptation. I need to reflect on the goodness of God, to reject the practice of anger, to receive the transforming work of the word. And then finally, you should refocus your energy toward serving and separating. Verse number 27, again, a familiar verse. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. First, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Affliction here has the idea of poverty. James follows what we often see in the Word of God. When God speaks of justice and mercy, 
he often does so in the context of those who are oppressed. Those who have nothing. Those who cannot speak up for and defend themselves. And here James says essentially the kind of person God wants us to be. That God is growing us to be. To be the kind of person who will look out for those who are oppressed. Who will look out for those who are afflicted. To look out for those who have less than we do. To look out for those who can't defend or speak up for themselves. And do what we can. To serve them. To help them. To give to them. To love them. And then to separate. Friends, this isn't a separate from people. No, it's to keep yourself unspotted from the world. To separate more and more from that evil that is inside you. Keeping it from connecting to that evil outside of you and letting them come together and conceive. In mine. If we're going to triumph over temptation, James leads us to, to turn our attention, to turn our energy away from giving in, playing out, living out those activities and practices of sin, and instead giving ourselves and our energy to serving others. Remember Galatians chapter 5, a passage where Paul deals with the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, begins with this idea of Jesus saved us. He set us free so that we can, by love, serve one another. Standing fast in the liberty that he's given us is lived out through loving service to other people. James tells us the same right here as he speaks to us about triumphing over temptation. So if you're a child of God tonight, God doesn't want you to endure through temptation to sin the way you are called upon to endure through trials of faith. He wants you to triumph over them, to escape, to be victorious over them, and he's given you the resources to do it. Develop your God-given defense against temptation to sin. Follow James's exhortation to grow in having victory after victory over sin and temptation in you. 